Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Um, today's topic is, should I accept a nonprofit board position? Um, and, you know, th- this is, a, this is a, a trickier topic than I think um, maybe some people appreciate. Um, and a lot of it, I think depends on kind of what stage of life, what stage of career you're, you're, you're on. Um, when I was, uh, when I was 20 years younger and uh, I did not yet have two arthritic ankles and, and, and gray hair, I would, um, you know, I'd be inclined to accept almost any kind of board position because, um, one, I was stunned that anybody wanted me. And number two, that I would want to, that's, that's a great way to build professional experience to build network to build uh, certain skills we're going to talk about that later today but as one kind of advances in, in, in life and in one's career and be, and has you know frankly more choices and more demands on their time the discussion of, of deciding whether or not to join a nonprofit board I think becomes uh, a, a lot more complex. And, you know, some people may find out that they're not particularly good, good board members. One of the things I've figured out over my career, I'm really not a great board member. I do my share for nonprofits, but I'm, I'm a better kind of rank and file person than I am uh, a board member. I, I'm more effective when I get out there doing stuff rather than getting, rather than planning the stuff. Um, but, you know, that's not me. As we're going to find out, you know, the, the, the doing and the planning is just, are equally valuable, but they're different, they're different skill sets. And, and, you know, joining a nonprofit board should be uh, a very seriously taken decision. And the decision may not simply be to join a board, but which board do you join? Chances are you will have multiple opportunities um, at once that, that come up. And being able to sift through kind of whether or not to take on multiple opportunities or how one opportunity is a better fit than another or whether to do it at all is, is, an, important, is an important decision. And um, we have a terrific guest to come on to talk exactly about that. And uh, it's my friend Cindy Cheatham, who is president of, of Good Advisors. And uh, I'll, I'll get to her formal introduction in just a second, but Cindy and I have known each other for more years than we probably cared to admit to one another. Um, but we both kind of grew up a little bit in the Atlanta startup community. And that's where, that's where we both met. And then several years ago, she kind of branched off into, uh, into nonprofit, uh, support and consulting work. And 
Uh, I've done my thing in corporate finance and now decision science. Um, but we both, that's kind of where we both kind of, kind of intersect. And I don't think that's by accident. I think that that's, you know, it, it in Atlanta, I think in any thriving startup ecosystem, you almost have to have a nonprofit mentality to be successful. Um, yeah, especially in Atlanta 10, 15 years ago, where we did not have any kind of thriving venture capital ecosystem. It was very much a, uh, a work in progress and it wasn't progressing very, very, very far or very fast at the time. And, and at least you know, Cindy may disagree, but from my perspective, you know, it, serving the, the, the startup ecosystem was almost like serving on a nonprofit board or serving in a nonprofit, uh, nonprofit capacity. I think it, it, it draws that kind of mentality. And uh, I think it's interesting now how that, that kind of comes full circle, at least in terms of, of, of our relationship and where we've, we've bumped into each other o- over the years. Um, Good Advisors is an independent management consulting organization focused on serving diverse organizations, including nonprofits, social enterprises, and entrepreneurial businesses. And we recently recorded um, uh, a podcast on benefit corporations. So, um, in fact, that was published uh, last week as I record this, uh, this uh, episode on July 31st. So, check that out. Um, they provide strategic consulting in areas of planning, organizational development and effectiveness, governance, collaborations and partnerships, and leadership coaching. They also provide custom retreat facilitation, training and workshops using experience as a certified facilitator and development of award-winning practical adult education programs. Their particular strengths include ability to bring strength and analytics with excellence in working with people and organizations to accomplish goals and to undertake successful change initiatives. Cindy helps motivate, lead, and equip, and equip mission-minded leaders and organizations to achieve their full potential by developing and sharpening their strategy, strengthening their leaders, launching new products or services, growing revenue, and forming strategic partnerships. Cindy is particularly skilled at working with people and organizations who conceptualize a future and lead them through a process of planning and change. Um, she's a very quick learner and is able to quickly assess an organization while also bringing objectivity to the work to design a practical yet innovative plan or solution for a diverse range of clients. Cindy takes a value-added approach, always seeking to use her network of business associates and leaders to facilitate valuable connections on behalf of her clients. Cindy is passionate about helping her clients to get great results for themselves and their organizations. Oh, and by the way, she has an undergraduate degree from the University of North Carolina and a Harvard MBA. So, definitely on, on, on the far right of the bell curve in terms of IQ. Cindy, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I, I resonate very much. I always tell, told people that I used to work with cash strap, change the world startups, and now I'm working with change the world cash straps, non, nonprofits. So there you and go. I are on the same page there. It's like slipping from one, one old pair of shoes into another, right? <laughs> um, so let, let's, as we always do, or we typically do with our show, let, let's let's set a baseline here. What is a nonprofit board, and why why do nonprofit boards exist? Yes, well, there are different types of not organizations, as we know, private businesses, government, public organizations. A nonprofit is one of the types that the government has created a tax status for and has a regulatory framework for. What we particularly probably think about when we think about nonprofit boards is the 501c3, which is the charitable model, where the IRS has given those nonprofits 
the benefit of not paying taxes as well as securing um, and taking donations and the donors get a tax tax deduction in return. There are also 501c6s that most of us as business leaders and professionals, we, we are part of associations. So um, those are different 501c6s, but nonetheless are a type of nonprofit. But the ones I think we're mostly talking about today are the charitable 501c3. And it's a legal responsibility. I like the fact that you said that this is a serious decision because I think a lot of people don't take it as seriously as they should. You are legally responsible for being the fiduciary of the nonprofit's mission success. That's why the government has granted that. It's a public good and you have the the duty of care, loyalty, and obligation as a board member. Yeah, and you mentioned something about a 501c6, and not as many people, I think, are as familiar with it because it's 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 really not the big name. But as as you know, and some of our listeners know, I started or co-founded and then ran a nonprofit called Startup Lounge, which uh, helped entrepreneurs go from idea to venture to business, and we had a, a pretty good ten year run. Um, and as we were forming that, the best advice we ever received was not to do a C3, but instead to do a C6. Um, Because, you know, we were doing it as, as, you know, Scott Burkett, who's our guest in episode two, he would readily admit we were a couple of knuckleheads that didn't know what we were doing. We All we wanted to do was to execute a mission. And we, you know, the the oversight for a C3 is so much greater than that for a C6, which is almost non-existent. It was the perfect fit for us. But until we got that advice, we hadn't even heard of it. And it was really was great advice that we got. Yeah, good, good, good choice. Uh, um, so w- when we th- when we think or we bring up the term nonprofit board, I think if you're not familiar with it, um, one's mind can then think to something with which you are familiar with, which is a corporate board. Are they very similar things, or are they very different kind of animals? Well, they're both similar in that they have governance responsibilities. Um, legally, they both can be sued. (laughs) Um, Ideally, they both are adding value to the entity through their strategic um, partnering with the, typically the executive, you know, a good executive board relationship is key to a successful board that there's similar attributes of the most effective corporate boards to nonprofit boards, uh, asking um, tough questions um, not not just being consensus driven, but um, a lot of the practices of the culture of boards that make for effective boards are similar, but they're quite different in that um, nonprofit board members are supposed to go in, in there and they're legally responsible for not having self-interest. They have to sign conflicts of interest. Um, and nonprofit boards tend to operate more from consensus Um for-profit boards can sometimes operate that way, but a lot of times for-profit board, a non-profit, sorry, for-profit boards can have investors um, who have a stake directly. They can have uh, majority control. Um, both of them can have issues between executive and CEO, but don't get me wrong. There's, there's challenges of managing that relationship among both, but for-profit boards also, frankly, I think in many ways have an easier job of measuring success Bottom line, financial success metrics are easier than a for-profit, a nonprofit board who's trying to understand how do we measure success in a mission that's very difficult. We all know there's a lot of difficult problems out there. How do we take somebody who's abused and turn their lives around? How do we 
how do we get more equity in America? These are difficult problems, and these board nonprofit boards have a more difficult lens in terms of being responsible for understanding how to achieve a mission goal and having the right measurement tools to do so. No, no easier bottom line um, in the nonprofit world. So you brought up something that I want to I want to follow up on. So we're right on schedule. I'm going to rip up the script already. Um, if 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 somebody's going to join a nonprofit board for the first time and they have experience interacting with or maybe s- sitting on a, a corporate or company board, um, do board members behave similarly or do they behave differently? And you kind of you kind of inferred this, but I'd really like to hit this directly because I, th- I suspect that if you're not used to a nonprofit and you've, you've only dealt with a for-profit, can there be a little bit of culture shock there? Yeah, I mean, there, there are, um, I'm sure that Justin, I know some corporate boards are very high performing, some are more um, casual, some are more formal, but I would say as a general rule, probably the corporate board is uh, probably more formal because the just the nature of corporate beings kind of, um, nonprofit boards can really vary. They can be extremely corporate in their practices and, you know, buttoned up and you know, with with their agenda and closely following it, depending on the chair, but they can be very casual in nature um, and very informal in nature, everything in between. So if, if a corporate board member is used to everything being buttoned up, you know, all the materials sent out weeks and weeks in advance, all, all well done, a very well organized agenda and um, everybody having done their homework. Of course, corporate board members in many cases are getting paid to do that work, so that helps, or they have a, a personal incentive to do that work. Um, they can go onto a non-profit board and have a bit of culture shock um, for a variety of reasons. One is because it doesn't sometimes always operate as, as formally and professionally, and the data is not always as clear and available. Two is, frankly, a lot of times they don't do their homework. You know, they go in, they go in with a casual um, more casualness to the prep and the commitment that they, they make, which frustrates the heck out of me when I see these great corporate people come and just come and show up to a board meeting and not taking it seriously. So there's different reasons for that. Now, um, I'm familiar, I'm, I've encountered a term, and I suspect you're familiar with it too, that, that, that talks about three different kinds of roles that individual board members often serve. And uh, it's referred to, and at least I, I've heard it as sort of the three W's, which is wisdom, work, and wealth. H- have you heard of something like that as well? And if so, can you talk about what those what those things mean? Yeah, absolutely. Whether you call it wisdom, work, and wealth, time, talent, wealth, absolutely. Yeah, I I I, I try to break it down into the three hats. One is the, the on the wisdom side, um, it's it's the strategy lens. It's you know you you're responsible for helping to shape a strategy of a nonprofit along with the executive to shape the funding strategy, to um, shape the the mission strategy um, and bring um, your wisdom of your, your field or your professionalism to, to that role on the, on the talent side. um, Again, a, a nonprofit board should ideally have a mix of the different talent, whether it be the marketing talent, the legal talent, the um, business development, we always need salespeople that are willing to knock down doors and open up doors for recruiting board members, for opening up doors to donors. Um, so that's on the, on the talent side, and that, that ideally gets deployed by your committee work, 
or taking on a pro bono. Sometimes, you know, boards are run by, um, nonprofits are run by board members who literally are the marketing. <laughs> Small nonprofits have their boards running the, the operations. That's not, that's not the ideal. You know, you have to be careful in a larger board that the board member keeps their lane and doesn't get into the daily operations of the nonprofit. But they, they usually do their talent through the committee. And then the time. Time is rolling up your sleeves and, and literally going and showing up at when when we're not in a pandemic and we actually get together for fundraising events or tours or uh, events at program events. Board members should show up to some of those events and have a presence. They should be a spokesperson and they should um, be out there, you know, opening up doors with their with their time. So what, what I take from that is. You know, a, a lot of times when we think about who serves on a board, um, we think that, oh, well, you have to re- be a big-time donor, a big-time influencer, corporate giant, something like that to serve on a nonprofit board. doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case, is it? No. You know, it, it really, really varies. There's a lot of different types of, of boards. Um, you know, the High Museum Board, you know, is certainly – a board that does tend to, to be seeking the C-levels, CEOs and people with a lot of wealth. And, um, and but even there, they have their executive board and then they have, um, you know, the, the larger, larger board. But the vast, vast majority of nonprofits, what they they need some wealth, ideally, and they need a handful of people that are willing to at least help organize the board's role in fundraising. But what they mostly need are p- people willing to not just show up to meetings, but to actually help be a team leader, you know, whether it be an officer or a committee chair. And so, you know, I, I work with the Federal Reserve in placing people on boards. And one of my favorite board members that's become the chair of two different boards that I placed him on, he always says, you know, I don't have, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't have a big corporate foundation behind behind us. So I know that I have to give leadership to my, as that I, my role can, I can write my small check or my modest check, but what I can, what I know I can bring is leadership to a board. And sure enough, he's risen to chair because he's demonstrated and be, been willing to go in as, as, as an officer and provide that critical leadership. Now, um, is it a, a prerequisite that if you're recruited for a nonprofit board, or maybe you even want to, you yourself want to approach and join see if there's an opportunity to join is is it a is it a prerequisite that you have to already be a subject matter expert and let's just let's just take for example um um the ALS association um which is a, a charity near and dear to my heart um uh do you, would i have to be an expert in Lou Gehrig's disease to be considered for a board or is that not is that not necessarily uh either a qualifying or a disqualifying criterion um it's definitely not a criteria. What is important, I think, um, one, one of the number one things that I think is important is that the individual joining does have a passion um, and or at least a strong interest. You know, if, if they're doing it in part because of the networking opportunity or in part because their corporation says, hey, this is a cause we, we support and we need somebody to represent, which frequently happens, you know, Cox or others say, you know, we support environmental causes, we support these education causes, we need somebody to serve on the JA board, you know, junior achievement 
Um, so it can be a combination, but passion and interest is important. So if you really can't get excited about the mission of the organization, either because you don't have personal experience or expertise, I would highly, I would think twice. But no, you don't need to be an expert. Uh, it is helpful for every board to have one or two people that can relate to the mission, you know, either because their family member has Lou Gehrig's, their ch- child has it. That really does fuel a lot of passion and commitment. And um, some of our best nonprofits were founded because of the personal experience of mothers against drunk driving. You know, that's how a lot of these things get started, but it's not essential. And frankly, you need diverse thinking on a board. You don't want everybody to come from the same experience and have the same perspective. You need different thinkers. Um. Corporate board members are often compensated. What about nonprofit board members? Are nonprofit board members typically compensated in any way? No, they, you know, they can sometimes get their expenses reimbursed for travel and so forth. I rarely ever see that. Um, maybe some of the larger nonprofits that have people gathering, national ones that have people having to travel all across the country occasionally. But for the most part, people just pay for that themselves. Their compensation is in, is in the goodwill um, of doing good and in the relationships. One of the reasons people uh, most join a board is also the opportunity for the relationships that they form with fellow board members and colleagues, the collegiality, the sense of doing good, the learning that they have that may be different from the way that things work in their organization, having a different perspective of, of, of decision-making, uh, collaboration, working in a diverse um, a more diverse environment than where they may come from. So it's really all those learnings and the relationships and then the sense of doing good. That's their compensation. Um, now, other than, than doing good and serving a cause that, that, you know, I believe in, for example, are, are there, are there other benefits to joining a, a, a nonprofit board? I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, relationships and networking, you know, I, um, not everybody values the network as much as I do, but I know there's just, it's kind of a pay it forward. You know, when you, when you have a network of people that you've worked with well in your life, I mean, I, frankly, with my business, I barely even got a website. It's kind of embarrassing. I think I got one up about a year or so ago, but it's all based on my network and referrals from all the various places I've worked over the years and, and people I've worked with that have led to the opportunities that I have. And so, you know, people are all, have a life ahead of them, whether it be a new career, a business opportunity, um, a referral, you know, even getting people to help your kids get internships and so forth. I have a lot of people on boards that are, you know, always calling me and saying, hey, there's this young person from UGA wants to get into nonprofits. Will you (laughs) help me? Um, And then, you know, if you want to get into leadership programs like Lead Atlanta as a young person or Leadership Atlanta, you have to have a track record of community leadership. So, for example, with the Federal Reserve, some of their young high potentials, they come to me and say, hey, can you help this person find a, a good board where they can find a passion and a fit and gain community leadership experience? Because we always want to, one, we, we believe in doing that because we need to get outside of our four walls and see how the community is doing and to see the, the economic health. And two, we want our leaders to be in a position to um to further lead and to be candidates for lead Atlanta and um, leadership Atlanta, for example. 
Now, what about building new skills? Can can you learn can you learn skills from a nonprofit that you can then take back to your your life in the for profit world? Absolutely. Not everybody has, for example, been part of um, strategic planning or had the chance to be part of a strategic planning committee um, because they might do, you know, they might be a bean counter or an accountant or, um, you know, you can learn, uh, even if you're an accountant, you may not have done fund accounting before, or you, um, there's the learning around just, um, there's just different types of problems and problem solving. You know, the, uh, if you're used to a very, corporate decision-making environment and um, the nonprofit you're, you're in is more of a shared, um, you know, there's not as much, it depends on the nonprofit, but a lot of nonprofits are less hierarchical in nature. And so, you know, the world is moving to be less hierarchical. So even just the way that you collaborate to get things done and make decisions together can be a learning exercise from your work in nonprofit. Now, um, a, a question I think that follows from that is, is it, is it okay if, if I'm considering joining a nonprofit board, is it okay for me to consider kind of what's in it for me? Not, not from a, an enrichment standpoint financially, but, but at least from a, a perspective of how it might help my career, how, how it might help develop my skill set. Is, is it okay to, to consider that in the oppor- in evaluating the opportunity or is that being, is that considered being opportunistic or too self-centered? Is that, is that a legitimate way to, or at least a legitimate consideration? Absolutely. And, you know, as long as it can be managed, so it's not too, um, a co- conflict of interest, you know, where you're pushing your own priority and interest, um, you know, within the board operations. I mean, there are even bankers, for example, that do business as a bank that sit on nonprofit boards. You just have to have practices to make sure you make um, non-conflicted, that you have competitive processes. But to the extent that there's learning that you um, that you want to do, you know, hey, I I do this for a day job. I, you know, I'm a, I'm in finance, but I really want to have a chance to. I've never sat on the strategy team of a not of a for-profit before of my business. I really am looking forward to being part of the executive leadership. That's a learning. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it makes you more motivated. You know, I, I'm interviewing somebody for a board right now and uh, this person's a PhD in PhD in um, engineering graduate from Georgia tech. She has a lot to bring to this particular um STEM-oriented uh, nonprofit board, but she told me one of her reasons is that she wants to learn, um, and she just started her own nonprofit, and she's trying to get her her feet uh, and her learning undertaken, and I think that's fine, and I appreciate her sharing that that was one of three reasons that she's interested in this, this nonprofit board. I think she'll be more motivated as a result, it's, as long as she's not conflicted, and I don't think there is a conflict there. Now we touched upon this a little bit earlier, but I, I do want to hit it directly, and, and that is that I think when a lot of people think about joining a nonprofit board, that means they're automatically going to be on the hook for raising a certain amount of money or you know sponsoring one or multiple tables at their annual fundraising event or gala. Is 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 that is that necessarily true? I mean, do do you have to kind of come to the table with some significant financial resources to be a, 
a viable board member? You know, um, I highly recommend that the best boards do expect to give and or get from all their board members that there are some that don't. Um, and they, they particularly are ones that maybe have their predominant funding coming from the government. For example, not all nonprofit funding comes from philanthropy. The predominant income stream, if you add it all up in nonprofit comes from uh, one, a lot of fee for services, you know, all the schools in the world that are nonprofits, they charge tuition to government money, but the ones that rely heavily on philanthropy, we, I always recommend that the nonprofits do um, ask their board members to be the role models, to be the first to give their time and their talent. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a lot. I mean, it, you know, it can be, it can be, um, but it, I do recommend it's a meaningful amount for that particular board member. So it should be one of your top three to five checks that you stroke after your, you know, if you're, if you're religious to your synagogue or your church, to your prop, to your kid's school, your university, and then the one or two boards, it should be a meaningful check that um, then can allow you to then better represent when you're out there as a spokesperson to, to help get money, to help, to help be able to speak to the reason. I always ask board members, why is this board worth your time and your money? You have to be able to speak to that and be able to um, give your time and give your money. Otherwise, you could just be a pro bono expert, you know, sit outside the board, give your give your expertise as a marketing person, give your expertise as a pro bono accountant. Does that answer your question? But it doesn't mean that, you know, board member board boards can can range from having no dollar amount to as many as, you know, big brothers, big sisters ask for a ten thousand dollar check. So, yes, there are some boards that ask for a lot. I always try to work with board members to find what is your comfort zone? What is it, what is something meaningful that you can give and then match that up to, to the nonprofit? And my understanding, a, a, a big portion, a big piece of that, too, is that potential donors um, almost always ask, what is your percentage of board participation, meaning how many how, what percentage of your board members have made themselves a financial contribution? How much financial skin in the game do they have? And Absolutely. Yeah. It's really got to be a hundred percent. Anything less than a hundred percent does tend to raise a red flag, doesn't it? Yeah. Not only that, but um, some, some of the institutions will ask, ask for the total dollars raised. Um, and they, they look at that and they, they'll then look at the composition of your board and they don't expect a lot. If your board is, is, Compose if, if it's a grassroots organization in a disadvantaged community with, you know, community leaders and pastors and ministers and um, just community people, they, they don't expect necessarily the same dollars as if you were a CEO board. Um, the other thing that people need to realize about nonprofit um, donations that come from the board, the board, so many dollars out there that come from large institutions like uh, foundations are what they call restricted. Restricted means they, they're giving you a, a, a grant to accomplish a certain program or with certain expectations. Thankfully, not all institutions do that. The community foundation has a big, big, been big, a big proponent of non-restricted grants that basically are saying, tell us what your overall strategy is and we're going to trust it. We're not going to micromanage where you spend, but a lot of the large grants do have 
you know, they're either funding a particular program or they're funding like, hey, we're going to help you um, hire your first fundraiser. So the dollars that come from board members are what I consider gold money because it's unrestricted. It allows the nonprofit to have some of their own control of their own money for their own priorities, um, including, hey, we actually need to invest in something like we need to hire a fundraising person. We think it can pay off. Um, We don't have, you know, we don't have the dollars for that otherwise. We think that um, we can do this. And sometimes you can even use that to go out and do a challenge grant. You know, a board can say, hey, we're going to raise 30000 We're going to go and challenge the community to get another $30,000. Um, and, you know, that brings up a, a point I want to I drill down because it brings up a question that actually I never thought of. And, and that is because you, you mentioned that, they, that, that uh, uh, donors not just look at amount of board participation, but actually the dollar amount contributed. And it, it, it brings to mind, at least my understanding that, you know, no, no foundation wants to be overly responsible for the survival of one organization, right? They don't want to be, they don't want one organization to be so dependent upon them that if they change mission, don't have as, as much money themselves to give that year, that all of a sudden that particular organization is imperiled. So they like to see diversity of, of financing sources. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there a, is there a percentage of a sort of a target percentage, if you will, of overall operating budget they like to see coming from the board and, you know, in terms of, yeah, so is there a percentage they like to see? You know, um, again, like I said, if it's a grassroots organization, it would maybe be, well, it would probably tend to be a smaller budgeted organization. I I don't see that. I've never seen that target set, but I do see sometimes boards say, shouldn't it be closer to 10% that in total and aggregate, which usually is driven. It's good if you, if, if a board has what a couple, what I call major givers on it, you know, there, there can be a board that has a bunch of people giving $500 or a thousand dollars, um, but then it's helpful if there's a handful that are able to give five or 10. Um, and those five, those most major givers are then able, they tend to have peers that can give five or 10, right? Their peer right. network. Um, so, I, you know, I've seen throw, 10% thrown out there sometimes, five, 5%, but uh, I think it's just a point of leverage too. When a board is saying, hey, we need to do these things and they're setting strategy and they're not sure how they're going to fund it. And you sort of, you add it up and say, well, we think we can get 80% of the way there. That's a good time to say, board, can we step our game up? I think board members, just like donors, want to see what's the case for support. And that nonprofits need to not just expect board members to get give. They need to also be able to communicate why do we need your money, even for a board. It shouldn't just be an expectation. There should still be a process of, that board being able to ask questions and feel good about how the nonprofit is using the money and to make a case for why do we need more money? You know, why do we, how are our dollars going to help achieve results? And of course they're part of shaping that as part of strategy development with the executive director. But um, if they don't feel like there's a reason to write, um, write more checks then then they need to also self-evaluate. Well, then why don't we believe in the mission? Are we not, do we not have a, a future that we're excited to be to help make um, make us realize, if that makes sense? 
There yeah, still no. needs to be a case for support made, even with board members, especially if you're asking them for something more or um, substantial. Sure. I mean, you, you can't you can't go out and advocate for the organization if you yourself don't believe in it and don't understand it. Right. Right. And you know, that's, that's a reasonable expectation of a board member. Um, now, uh, let's let's say that, you know, now a listener has has been hanging out with us for, you know, the 35 minutes or so we've been on. And they're, they're now seriously considering joining a nonprofit board, maybe accepting an invitation or or proactively pursuing one. Um, what is kind of a personal inventory that I might I might take for myself to determine if I have the right tools or personal characteristics to be a good board member or, or even if I would find it rewarding? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, have I met one or more of the people in the organization? Are they people that I would enjoy working with? Um, do I have a passion for, for the cause or an interest? Do I see that there may be a seat um, or a place for me that I might feel like I could contribute? You know, there's a either an, um, of course, it's obvious if they need a treasurer and I'm willing to be treasurer, you know, an immediate match in terms of a need that they're trying to fill. Um, are, they, are the expectations um, give, get, and or time? Even the meeting um, frequency and time, you know, the time of day, are, if, are they a morning uh, board? Are they an evening board? I mean, I know somebody who was meeting on Friday nights. Uh, wow. <laughs> that has to work in your life. <laughs> and then, you know, at the end of the day, do, do I, am I excited? Do I feel like this is going to, you know, it's, it's a commitment. A- am I excited to take on this new challenge and this commitment and feel like it's, it's a, it, you know, and that I've been thoughtful about it too, and not just, hey, somebody grabbed me and said, come join this board. The process of bo- joining a board ideally should be not just, hey, M- Mike asked me to join board X. There's very little exchange of information, very little um, thoughtfulness. Um, so I would encourage and, and urge people to, to, to not jump right away, to do some of their homework, including like, okay, is there any major crisis going on with this organization? I mean, very few nonprofits are really um, super, super stable, you know, in, in this pandemic, you know, just like small businesses, nonprofits are particularly vulnerable. Um, and that's always the case. But, you know, of course, pandemic makes it worse. But, you know, is the organization, is there any, this is not a reason not to join, but at least having clarity, is there any reserve? What's the balance sheet look like? Has there been a has there been any, um, you know, have we been operating in the black or the red? Um, is is um, how's the board feel about where the board is right now? Or is there some kind of board crisis going on? Is it, is there going to be like is our longtime 20 year founder going to all, all of a sudden retire on day one when I join the board and we're going to have to do one of the hardest things the board has to do, find a new um, CEO, just sort of eyes, be eyes wide open um, to what the current situation is too, because that can really influence your experience as a board member. We're talking with Cindy Cheatham of Good Advisors, and we're discussing the uh, decision point of, should I join a nonprofit board? Um, we've only got time for a couple more questions. So I want to make sure I get them in because I know we, we have a little bit of a hard stop here. But one question I do want to make sure we get we get to is, and we just touched upon it with that last response is, you know, typically with a with a nonprofit board, 
um, you know, what kind of time commitment is the board member typically looking at? Well, it can really vary, but you know, the board board source, which is a national consultancy focused on governance, does this yearly. Would would say that an officer can spend as many as six, eight, ten hours a month. Um, you know, a, a chair especially. Um, but I think on average, four to six hours per month for for uh, for the board. You know, for a board that's doing its job, that is kind of doing the wisdom, talent, and wealth. Um, so it's you know, it's not giant, but it's not unsubstantial as you think about the amount of free time we have relative to exercise, family, and other other commitments that we may have. Now, one thing you touched upon earlier, and I want to make sure we get to, is, is, you know, joining a nonprofit board is not like going to community college, right? It's, it's, it's a serious commitment. You don't just sort of sign up and walk in. And, and one of the things that makes it a serious commitment is that there is real liability if, if things go south and, and it's kind of on your watch. Um, how, how, do, how do board members manage that liability or does the nonprofit help manage that liability? What, what is the strategy for doing that? Well, um, the board is responsible for its um, duty of care obligation and so forth to follow the law and should be responsible to make sure the nonprofit does have policies in place for things like finances, financial controls to prevent fraud, HR policies in terms of whistleblower, non-discriminatory policies and so forth. So one, their job is to make sure those policies or practices are in place and to do that audit. Um, But they should also have, uh, they should also have nonprofit board Insurance. There is insurance, just like there is for corporate boards. Um, you know that that is an insurance policy. But what I see a lot of times is board members who are particularly sensitive to risk, and a lot of the people that I place at the Federal Reserve are very much risk. Um, you know, they they manage risk and they come from finance, and and so they'll go into a board and ask a lot of questions around the audit. Um, is you know, and see practices or lack of practices, and take leadership in putting those in place. That's one of the the roles of a board is to is to bring those practices to reduce the liabilities and the risk. Um, so it's their job to do it. And then you know, on the protection side, you should. It's fair to ask: Do you have um, directors and officers insurance? And the vast majority do. And you can go to Georgia Center for Nonprofits and others to, to secure that relatively inexpensively. Um, what about now let's, let's go to kind of the other end of the spectrum. Let's, let's say that, you know, I really, I really get a lot out of serving on a nonprofit board and and maybe I'm at a point in my life and my career where, you know, I, I can make a substantial commitment to nonprofit support is, is it possible or ill-advised or somewhere in between to serve on multiple boards? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I would say um, a good number of community-minded leaders that do like that work, do find a lot of fulfillment from it, and are frankly good at leadership, sit on multiple boards. Um, so, you know, and especially ones that um, just, to, you know, yeah, It's but it's a big commitment. I always... I always encourage people to think twice and three and four times before they do that, especially joining at the same time, because there's always a learning curve. 
of going on onto boards. Um, and, you know, I had one individual that went on two different boards. One was really right, um, very much aligned with the corporate center interests. This is very going to be very good for my career and very much appreciated me serving on this board because this is right up the alley of my, this is really the business that my bank is in. So I'm going to see that board service as really kind of more uh, professional. And the other one was the Ronald McDonald House, which was very, very personal. And so that's also common, too, is because, you know, there, there are professional boards um, that you can serve on for some professional purposes. And then there's another one that really is just totally kind of melt your heart. This cause is near and dear to me. Um, so he, he did both of those well because I think he had strong motivations and he's one of those just very organized, giving people that can get a lot done in a little bit of time. So, um, you know, that, that actually that, that brings up another question I want to touch upon because I, th- I think we can squeeze this in. And, and that is, you know, if I'm thinking of joining a nonprofit board, what kind of support should I reasonably expect from my employer to allocate the time or, you know, allow me the time to, to sit on a nonprofit or, or do companies make allowances for that? Do companies recognize that it's in their best interest to have their employees and their leaders out there serving the community? Or do, do businesses and employers tend to think of this, think of it the same thing as going fishing that if, if you want to do this, that's fine, but it's a hobby and it's separate from work. Well, I think it varies. I, I haven't seen enough of how small, more entrepreneurial businesses do this, but I would think that um, they should, you know, that if they don't have an established policy or practice for encouraging service or these practices, a lot of corporations, large established corporations, they have policies on amount of service time you can take during the workday. Um, and they have those policies all in practice. They communicate them. They encourage them. They even organize their team-based events to help people utilize, utilize those community service hours. They have um, matching gifts to match. You know, if you give a certain number of hours, you can also earn a matching gift. So big established companies absolutely um, encourage professional service firms, legal accounting, um, encourage it because of business development purposes. Um, so, you know, it really varies, but, um, you know, and then of course, just talking to your boss, you know, a lot of times it's you and your relationship to your direct supervisor in terms of how this is going to impact if, if your meetings are always at lunchtime or always during the workday, you just have to have a good, even if your corporation encourages it, it's always good to just kind of give, get a heads up to your supervisor and get them on board, um, but, you know, yeah, the, the, some of the best companies, the most thriving, purposeful companies are also encouraging of leadership in the community um, for both personal satisfaction as well as uh, corporate benefit. They see the learning. They see the professional development. They see the, the goodwill that comes when their employees um, know that their employer is encouraging them to have a life in the community and not just in their building. Cindy, we are uh, unfortunately out of time. Um, as is typically the case, I have a lot more questions that I could ask, but we do need to be respectful of, of your time. Um, but I'm sure our listeners have other questions they'd love to follow up uh, with you about. Um, how can people contact you for more information about this topic? 
Sure. Um, well, I have a website. It's www.good, G-O-O-D, and then dash advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com, and then Cindy at good-advisors.com. I welcome uh, additional questions and opportunities. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Mike, and uh, appreciate um, any time to, to collaborate with you. Let's keep it going. All right. Thanks so much. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Cindy Cheatham so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 